Philippians 3, that's where we are. I know it's hard to believe after all this long time. We're still in Philippians. So I'm out west in this very remote desert. And we're on a road, it was dirt, and they had filled in this valley. And I was really surprised how you're going down the road, and you look to the right, and it's just And over on the other side of the road, it was And there was no guardrail. And they, you know, wow. Pay attention to what you're doing. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Paul's writing to the Philippians, and he's warning them about these two things on each side they need to be aware of. And, you know, I guess in a, if you were scared in a case like that, you might be tempted just to stop. But he tells, keep going, but just look out for the trouble. And so what he's going to deal with today is two extremes. He's warning them about one group that we've already seen as the Judaizers. And a new group we're going to see today is the apostates. Which brings me to my thing up here. What's the difference between an, an apostle, an apostate, and an aeropostle? <laughs> Okay, that's a uh, clothing store in the mall named after the French postal system. It is. Now, okay, now you can see a po is in both of these words, right? Remember the Apollo space program? All right, what's a po mean in Greek? So from or away from. And then this Greek word means, it's from a root that means to send. So an apostle is somebody you, you send out to represent you somewhere else. We tra- usually today we think of these people as missionaries. We commission somebody, we send them out to go do something. They represent Jesus and the church. So that's a good thing. Now an apostate, here's that same word, from or away. And that's from the Greek word stasis, which means to stand. And that's to stand away from. Like, have you ever stood next to somebody? I was at the abortion clinic one time and this guy was, boy, he was blaspheming God. It was just so terrible. And I thought, well, I'm going to stand over here before the lightning strikes. <laughs> You know, and so that refers to somebody who used to be a Christian, or at least said he was, and now he stands away from it, okay? And that's a new group we're going to be dealing with today. Just to review, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. That just doesn't come out of the blue. He's not saying be happy all the time in general here. The alternative is rejoicing in the law which is the mistake of the Judaizers. And that's why in chapter 3, verse 2, look out for who? The dogs. Now, there's a play on words. That's what they called us. He calls them dogs, right? Look out for the evildoers. Anybody that wants to put you under the law of Moses, Paul says, is an evildoer. And then what does he call them? For those who mutilate the flesh, a reference to circumcision. All right, so these Judaizers were... I'm not sure exactly what they said. Maybe they were saying Jesus is not enough. You've got to have Jesus plus the law to be saved. You've got to become Jewish to be saved. Could be saying that, which is a false gospel. Or they could have been simply saying, okay, uh, yeah, 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 you believe in Jesus to be saved. But to be sanctified, you really please God, you've got to keep the law of Moses. Either way, that would be a legalism which is not a good thing. So we've already seen where he warms them there. Now, at the end of what we're going to look at today, I hope we get there. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, therefore, what? Stand firm in the Lord. That's the same as rejoicing in the Lord. These are bookends between problems he's about to deal with. And right in the middle, in verse 16, hold true to what we've attained. You see? So what we're looking at today is 
You're going down the road, there's a ditch on each side, Judaism versus apostates. Both can cause problems. And he's saying, but don't stop. Don't go in either ditch, but don't stop either. You've got you to keep pressing on. So there's kind of several things going on here at once we're going to see. Speaking of pressing on, if you look at what we've already studied, Paul's goal in life, verse 10, was what? That I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's his, you could say his life verse. That's his goal. That's his driving passion right there. And what we're going to see today is spinning off of that statement, which reminds me, uh, we talked about Christopher Columbus. Columbus sailed the oceans blue in 1492, and he discovered America. But he didn't get much further than the beaches of Costa Rica or wherever that was, right? There was this vast, unexplored continent he never knew anything about. And so what Paul's going to say today is, don't be like Christopher Columbus, where you just barely get in the door of salvation and stop. No, we need to be like Lewis and Clark. We need to explore all the way across to the other side. And that's what he's going to say today. So you've got these twin dangers, one on each side, and we've got to focus on Jesus and keep pressing on toward the goal. And it reminds me of a little kid who, he fell asleep and he fell out of bed one night. And he says, well, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I got in. But don't do that in Christ. Don't, a lot of people... They get saved and then they go to sleep and they are asleep in Zion, too close to where they came in. Paul is telling them, don't do that. Don't make that mistake. Paul was 30 years a Christian when he wrote this and he said he hadn't arrived yet. And if he hadn't arrived yet, my guess is probably we hadn't either. All right. So look at chapter three, the first paragraph. I'm trying to at least cover a paragraph at a time, a week, right? 12 through 16. It says, is that's the one thing he did? One thing. All right. So if you would read 12 through 16, we're going to look at it. one thing Paul did. Just one thing. One thing Paul said he did. What was it? He pressed on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a motivation. What a goal. Right. He had a quest for the best. All right. Now, this is this reminds me of what Moses tells us about a guy named Enoch who walked with God and was not. Because God took him. That's what Paul wanted. Paul said earlier in this book, to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's right. And Corinthians, you know, back then they didn't have silver plated glass mirrors like we do. They would polish up a piece of brass. And, and that works okay, but it's not great. And so talking about that, Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly. But then when Jesus comes back face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. So Paul wanted to know in this life all he could possibly learn about Jesus. That should be our driving force and ambition in life as well. Okay. If it's not, you're the person for whom Paul wrote this today. And if you're already doing it, he's trying to spur you on. So he's going to go on and talk about mature Christians versus immature Christians. Well, if you don't feel like this, like Paul, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not saved, but it does mean you're immature. Maturity is wanting to press on to know Christ more and more, based on what Paul's about to say in just a little bit when we read this. So, as I said, he'd been a Christian how long when he wrote this? 
30 years, he had not yet fully known Christ. And so we have to be real careful not to rest on our spiritual laurels, not to think we've plateaued. Okay, you've got to press on past that. There's a lot of people, a lot of Christians who draw a breath and they draw a paycheck, but they're not drawing closer to Jesus. Okay, and they don't live their lives in light of eternity. So it's a shame. It's a waste. It's terrible. All right. Paul, not Paul, Jesus. He said to a church in the book of Revelation, I have this against you. He had a lot to say against them. One thing he said was, you've abandoned the love you had at first. That's what we don't want to be. Now, this whole paragraph that Robert read is full of stadium and athletic terms, kind of like you'd find in the Olympic Games. And you don't see that so much in English, but it comes out in Greek. And so Paul, it's like he's he's got the enthusiasm of a runner in the Greek games. And that's how he's approaching knowing Jesus. You see, like in verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own. The Greek word is to tackle and pull down. It's like he's chasing after somebody and he's going to tackle that person and pull them down. That's, that's how he wanted to apprehend this knowledge of Christ. And then he says, forgetting what lies behind it. Again, this is the idea of a runner and he's not paying attention to any other runners or the fans or anything else. His eyes on the finish line. You might remember in that Chariots of Fire movie from 100 years ago. One of the guys lost a race. He was in the lead and he's running. But he looks around to see where this other runner is. That distracted him enough he lost the race. By just a millisecond, the other guy won. And they were talking about, to look ahead, look at the finish line. That's what Paul said. I forget what was behind. By the way, he had a lot to forget. In that last lesson, he talked about all his accomplishments in Judaism. He had quite a pedigree. He said it was just a bunch of poop. Literally, that's what he said. All right. And then he says he's straining forward. And the Greek here, it talks about, it's the picture, it's the compound word of a guy whose eye is at the finish line and his eye is pulling on his hands, which are pulling on his feet. And he's just zooming down toward the finish line. That's that word there. And again, press on in verse 14. He's used that same word in verse 2. Again, that's the word for chase. It's like he's chasing behind somebody to try to beat him out. And the goal he talks about in verse 14, skopos. Uh, that's the finish line. So anyway, interesting that he uses those kind of words. He's kind of consumed with this thing. That's what we should be consumed with. All right. You've ever heard of the do- doctrine of sinless perfection? Well, don't believe it. It ain't so. It's the idea you can be perfect in this life. Well, Paul said in verse 12, he says, not that, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already what? Perfect. You're not going to be perfect in this life. But it's the idea of mature. And what was he talking about? Well, he's talking about, again, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and by any means possible may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's what he's talking about, all right? So, again, don't be stagnant in your walk with Jesus. That's what it comes down to. There should be an urgency to that. There's no cruise control. There's no autopilot, all right? There's... It's just too much to know about Jesus to be content with wherever you are right now. Now, one thing the Bible does teach is you can't lose your salvation. You didn't learn, do anything to get it. and You can't do anything to lose it. All right. Now, the, so what happens is you get, when you get saved, you get dwelt by a ghost. You're haunted. It's Holy Ghost. Okay. And he's inside of you and he's going to see to it. You persevere in the faith and in holiness. He does. That's just what he does. That's his job. So we, if you've ever seen this thing called TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, well, the P is perseverance of the saints. They really ought to call it perseverance of the Holy Spirit inside the saints. Okay, that's what happens. He keeps us faithful. But 
people monkey with that thing like they do everything. And they call it something else that I don't like. What they call it that I don't like. Can you read my mind? Once saved, saved, always saved. Thank you, Leaf, from years of sitting in church, uh, this church. Yeah. I don't like once saved, always saved because it's been perverted. And the idea is you got Uncle Bob. Oh, Uncle Bob. When he was 10 years old, he went to a revival meeting and he walked the aisle and he received Jesus when he was 10 years old. Now, he hadn't been to church since. And he lives like the devil, but he's going to heaven because once saved, always saved. No, we've we've talked about if you're really saved, it's not just where you start, it's how you finish. You're going to persevere in the faith and in a desire to obey Jesus. That's the evidence that you're truly saved. So there are people who appear to be saved now and later they fall away. Well, they didn't lose their salvation. They were just false believers. And so it's cute. So I say it a lot, but it's true. The faith that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. Right. All right. So he's going to talk about those people today, not apostle, but apostates. Okay, going to talk about them because they're dangerous. There's a problem there anyway. um, But he but he's warning them press on. So even though it's true, you can't lose your salvation. At the same time, we're exhorted to press on, to be earnest in knowing Jesus more. That's that's what he's talking about here as I see it. So. Another thing Jesus said to one of those churches in Revelation, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. He's talking to church members there, folks. So don't be lukewarm. And you, you, uh, you hear about Sunday school teacher and she's getting kids ready to go into the, the sanctuary for the worship service. You know how kids can be loud and noisy like we heard today earlier. And uh, she says, now, children, why should you be quiet when we go into the sanctuary? And one little boy said, because people are sleeping in there. (laughs) 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 By the way, I know some of you think I can't see you while you're asleep when I'm teaching, but I do. I know. I know who you are. (laughs) I will try not to look at anybody in particular. But now the point is. Don't be asleep at Zion. That's that's what he's saying here. He's writing about himself to apply it to them. This you need to press on and you need to be diligent in pressing on. Okay, so again, verse 13 and 14, he says, one thing I do. Let's go back. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what he did was he narrowed his interests, okay? Didn't Jesus say no man can serve two masters? Yeah, he did say that. It looks like concentration is the key to spiritual power, okay? He was focused. You know, if, if you have a river and it has no banks, that's a swamp. Been down to the Okefenokee Swamp. It's just a river with no banks. But if you take that river and you put it in between, you channel it between two banks, then you've got a mighty river, like the Mississippi River. You can harness that thing. You can get work out of it. So you've got to take your mind and focus, singularity of focus, to press on to know Christ more. That's what he's calling us to do today. Just that simple. All right. And he says, I don't look behind. I forget what lays behind. You remember what happened to Lot's wife? She looked behind, turned a pillar of salt. All right, so again, salvation's a free gift. But if you're really saved, it's going to change you. 
If it doesn't change you, you should question whether you're really saved. But once you're saved and you're changed now, don't coast. That's it. Don't coast. That's what he's saying. Now, so again, verse 14, there's a prize. You get a compete in the Olympic Games, you get a prize. All right. The prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's never going to be fully realized until the resurrection of the dead. When you leave this body of flesh behind, then you can fully realize that. So, again, is that your view today? Is that honestly your view? Does that describe your goals and ambitions? It should. And it could. God wants it to. Is your life consumed with a passion for knowing Christ? looks like you can't have a take it or leave it attitude and accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in knowing Christ here. All right. Now look at verse 15 and 16. He says, if you think like Paul right now, if you already think like Paul, there's something true about you. That's verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. So if you think like this, what's true of you? According to that verse, you're mature. That's the standard of maturity. Now, not that you've arrived, but you got the right attitude, right? All right. So let's suppose you're not mature, that you don't have this attitude. What did Paul promise is going to happen? According to verse 15, God will reveal that to you. He might be doing that through the scripture this morning, right? Now, if you are clueless and you never get that message, it might be because you're not in a club, you know? All right. So I ask you to ask God to show you if you're missing something in your walk with Jesus. Ask him to show you that. He will. According to this, James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is a pretty good thing to have wisdom about. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. Now, he he wants you to do something in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. What does he want you to do? Hold true to what you've attained. So don't go backwards. Now, you've got some temptations on each side over here, Judaizers, Judaizers and the apostates, who we're about to see. Hold true, at least don't go backwards. Rejoice in the Lord, don't go backwards. Stand firm in the Lord. That's what he's going to say. That's what he is saying. And look at verse 16. I see the word O-N-L-Y. Okay, what grammatical purpose does that serve in that sentence? Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. What does that do for me in that sentence? Not anything else. And what did you say? Somebody? Well, yeah, but what does it do for me in the sentence? It's exclusive. This, then we're back to focus. Okay? Back to focus. Only, it's just one thing. Do that. Concentrate. Don't go backwards. Don't go sideways. All right? Now, there's some big change coming in the next paragraph. He tells us what that is. Look at 17 through 21. Okay? Big change that's coming in the future. Now, uh, I know, Chris, you're not a shy person, probably not a, afraid to read out loud. So uh, would you read that? 17 through 21. Big change. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Mind set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
What's the big change that's coming in the future for you and for me? What? Transform our lowly bodies. That's right. That's what he says. Our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorified body. Now, that goes all the way back to what he said in chapter 3, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So the Bible says that sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And it says the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead are going to raise imperishable, and whoever's living is going to be changed. So that's, that it's coming. So backing up to verse 17, though, he says there's two walkways, okay, that are contrasted. 17 and 18. What are the two walkways, two ways to walk in 17 and 18? Give me one, give me the other. Okay, one way you can walk is according to Paul and the pattern that he left for us. What's the other way you can walk? Walk as enemies of the gospel and the cross. That's right. Okay, y'all see that? So there's his command in verse 17. What's the command? All right, in imitating me. That's the first part of it. Imitate Paul. He was not shy about setting himself up as an example. Look at me and do what I do. Because I follow Christ. You follow me as I follow Christ. This is over and over and over. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.16, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.7, you ought to follow our example. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, we offer ourselves as a model for you. Follow our examples over and over and over. Okay, now this word example, back in the 60s when they had full service gas stations, they had this TV production company. And at the start of every show, there's this guy with a sweaty arm. He's like he's a blacksmith. He's got this real sweaty arm, and he's got this huge metal stamp. And he puts it on a sheet of metal, and he takes a, like a 10-pound sledge. He says, bam, bam, and he pulls it away, and it says, Mark 7. That was the name of the production. Anybody remember that besides me? Okay, well, it was cool, man. You could go home and look at it on YouTube if you want to see it. Well, that's, this is the, the, the word for example. Okay, there's two Greek words. There's a word for the, look, if I took uh, something and I hit this, there's the thing I hit it with, and then there's the impression that it makes. It's the, and it's the same Greek word. I mean, just variations on the same root. But it's, we've got a word typewriter. Now, that's another antique y'all don't know anything about, I guess. I used to have to type my papers on the typewriter and have all the white out and everything. Well, you know, you got, when you hit the key, it's mechanical, that type flies up there, bap, and it hits the page, and it leaves an imprint on the paper. So you got the type and the key. Well, it's all the same Greek word, but the mark left on the page is the word for example, okay? And that Mark 7 production is what was left on the metal. That's, so Jesus, what he's saying is you got hit by Jesus. If you got hit by Jesus, it's going to leave an imprint on your life. It's going to leave a mark. And if it didn't, you didn't get hit by him. And see, so, and Paul got hit. And he's saying, you follow, you follow this big dent I have in my head caused by Jesus. You, you follow my example. That's what he says. I went to a wedding up in Tennessee one time. And I told everybody, I came back to church. And I told them I was late for the wedding because I was driving down the freeway and had a flat tire. And man, I was, had my suit on and I was hurrying up and I was changing that tire. And I was just spinning the the nuts off of the wheel, and one of them bounced out into the lane of oncoming traffic. And without thinking, I just lunged out to get it, and there was a tractor trailer right there, and he hit me and ran over me. So I was late for the wedding. Of course, you know what? Nobody believed me. Nobody. Because you can't hit by a tra- get hit by a tractor trailer and not show it. And it's the same with Jesus. So a guy says, I believe in the Lord Jesus, but he doesn't show it. 
There's no imprint on his life. So Paul got imprinted, and he says, okay, I'm in process. I'm ahead of you, 30, probably 30 years ahead of him. He said, you follow my example. Now, that's not the only thing he said to do, though. What verse was that? Verse 17. Join in imitating me and do what else? Keep, mine says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. All right. So Jesus is not here for you to follow. Paul got so far ahead of us, he's not here for us to follow. (laughs) But there are other people who follow the example that are ahead of you in the faith. Look at them. Now, earlier he said, look out for the Judaizers, but look at those who are ahead of you in the faith that are pressing on toward knowing Jesus. So would you feel, now here's the question, would you feel comfortable setting yourself up as an example for everybody else in our church to follow? If you wouldn't, you're not there yet. But what if everybody in the church was exactly as spiritual as you are? Would you want to go to church here? Ooh. Well, I, you know, what I'm saying this not to make you feel bad, but to motivate you to press on. There are mature. There are immature. You're not born mature, but press on. And a lot of it is the right attitude. Like Robert was just saying, Paul hadn't arrived yet, but he was going in the right direction. He had this singularity of focus. And that's what we need. All right. And if you don't feel that way, God will show that to you if you belong to him. That's, that's basically what he has said earlier. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. By the way, it seems popular in reform circles. It kind of sounds like we're just little piles of doo-doo covered in snow. Uh, We're sinners. We're just lousy sinners. You're not. You were. Such were some of you. If you're saved by grace, you're a new creation in Christ. So I think the doo-doo covered in snow analogy is, is not, that's not good theology in my opinion. Okay. It's what? Wormism. Thank you for such a worm as I. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Well, we were worms and we were doo-doo, but I mean in our sin, but God has changed us. Amen. So point is though, we, we do need some direction. When I first got saved, I was in a church that didn't teach the Bible. They didn't even teach gospel. Well, I never knew to leave it. I heard the gospel despite them, stayed in it, didn't grow a lick. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. We need some kind of an example. And Paul set himself up as an example, and he's telling you to look for examples. When I first bought my house, the whole half up, back half up was just kudzu. It was piled up. And the, back then you had to have the lot surveyed and the surveyors couldn't see the iron stake from the front to the back because all kudzu. And so they ran a line in the middle and they had, maybe they had a string with an orange thing on it. And that was their siding line between the two pins to kind of get straight on that. And well, that's what we need. You can't see Jesus. You can't see Paul, but you can't see other people that are ahead of you in the faith. And you keep your eye on them. Mimic what they do. But the same token, probably there's other people looking at you and you need you need to be the right kind of example for them, too. Yeah. All right. Now, verse 18, Paul's crying when he's writing this. Look at this. Many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Why the tears? Why is he crying? He cares. Now, pagans are everywhere where then still are. Philippi is full of pagans. Now, I don't know that I would call a pagan an enemy of the cross. I would call a pagan ignorant of the cross. He's talking about people who are 
enemies of the cross. The thinking seems to be, he's talking about this group of apostates. People who used, they started with Jesus, and now they're against Jesus. And there is a lot of them out there. Uh, Joshua Harris comes to mind as one, right? John Piper's son, Abraham Piper, is another. Okay, outspoken. And you know what? Bring, now, it makes me tearful. Back in the day, we were in a homeschool group. 100 years ago. And all, I knew all these parents who, they saw the bad effects of public school on kids. And they said, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to homeschool our children. And they spent all this time homeschooling the kids. And today, so many of those kids have no use for Jesus. They're even anti-Christ. I thought, well, they should have just sent them to public school and forgot it. Of course, I'm not saying they should have really, but you think, how does this happen? And that's kind of how Paul's feeling. What is this happening? So enemies of the cross. Now, I don't think they're in Philippi, in the church there. Philippi is between two cities, okay? There's a stopover spot on a long road between two cities, and a lot of people didn't stop there. So the thinking is that a lot of these people coming through Philippi, and of course, you met them. And it can be discouraging to talk to people who, oh, I used to believe that, but you watch some of those videos by Abraham Piper and stuff sometimes. It's really, wow. So this can hurt your faith. And he said, boy, don't follow that example. Look out for them. Don't look at them as examples. So enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow, look where they're headed. Verse 19, their end is destruction. Paul is looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. They're in this destruction. Their God is their belly. They live for now. They're Epicureans. Okay? They glory in their shame. Boy, now if that's not what's going on in the United States today, and I think of Paul in Romans talking about God giving people over to the depravity of these sexual sins they're committing. And he says, their minds set on earthly things. It's like earthly women they want. Men, manicures, and money. That's it. It's all on earth. It's just terrible. They've no use for the things of the Lord. Well, odds are some of y'all sitting here today are going to wind up in that boat. Now, for the rest of you, I mean, just be aware. It happens. Don't lose your faith. It happens. There's going to be casualties. So press on. If you really love Jesus, you're going to press on. And notice he says... I have often told you this, often. Why do you think Paul often, often, again and again and again warned them about those who walk as enemies of the cross? Why would he need to do that? Maybe they had smooth and flattering speech. You know, these bad examples are, they're like radioactive, you know. And in ancient times, pirates used to set up false lighthouses to lure ships onto the breakers and wreck them and then go out there and kill everybody and, Steal the cargo. And these guys are like false lighthouses, right? So these bad examples are everywhere. All right, now, 20 through 21, he kind of turns the corner with it, okay? He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Philippi was in what country? Back then, Macedonia, today it is Greece, but it was a Roman outpost colony. And the Citizens there were proud of being Roman citizens, and I guess rightly so. But he's saying, he's probably picking up on that, guys, remember, what really matters is you are a citizen 
of heaven. All right? So in that sense, the church is a colony. It's an outpost of heaven right here on earth. And we're, as he says elsewhere, ambassadors for Christ. Okay? So get your perspective right on that. So he says again, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, which is often how people refer to Caesar. He says it's Jesus, the Lord, again, Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, it's Jehovah who's said to be the Lord and the Savior. And now you've got these New Testament writers applying that to Jesus, who is Jehovah in human form. That's, so he's talking about that. And then, as we've already seen in verse 21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things, even the Roman Empire, to himself. Amen. Amen. So Paul's view of eschatology, which is study of end time events, is that Jesus was coming back. And a lot of things are going to change when he does. By the way, if you study all the, the creeds and confessions, one thing they all agree on, maybe the only thing they agree on, Jesus is coming back. When he does, big changes are going to happen. So if you really believe that, that's going to affect you too. Paul said everyone who hopes in his appearing purifies himself just as he is pure. So again, one of the reasons the Baptist faith and message says we do the Lord's Supper is not only to memorialize his death, but to anticipate his second coming. So a weekly reminder that he is coming back and we're going to change when he does. All right. So he concludes it according to the way we have it broken in our Bibles in chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved, which is parallel to rejoicing in the Lord. So it's bookends to this whole big section he's got right here. So I'll ask you, uh, just to see if you're listening, starts with the word therefore, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. What's the therefore, therefore? In light of everything he just said. All right. So it ties all of that back to all the chapter three. All right. What's the alternative to standing firm in the Lord? You're going to become an apostate and enemy. Of the cross. And whether that's through unbelief or through being siphoned off into Judaism by the Judaizers. That's right. All right. So applications, just to think of some. One, he says, we are to live life like citizens of heaven as ambassadors for Christ. All right. And if you really believe Jesus is coming, you're going to live a life of purity. That's what he said. All right. And he's warning us to beware of the, those two ditches, the twin temptations of legalism on one hand and apostasy on the other. Watch out for that. That's an ever-abiding problem. It's a real and present danger, especially the apostasy part of it, it seems like. Okay. And then he says, look for people to mimic who are ahead of you in the faith. And you ought to desire to be one of those examples that other people mimic yourself. All right. And then his whole big thing is press on, press on, press on, press on and knowing Jesus more and more. The psalmist said, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I just got to go do it. The race starts now. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church 
with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.